This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and you're listening to Property Matters here on Two People's Radio. Property Matters, the show where we talk about all things property, and there's been a lot of statistics that have just been released by the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. I'll bring you some of those to do with capital gains, yields, general market reports, and then we'll go into a little bit of news about what's been happening in real estate news that would affect you in this region of Manawatu or even further afield around the country and potentially overseas. So the Real Estate Institute has recently brought out its monthly property report which pertains to June. And what you'll notice while I'm talking, you'll hear lots of paper rustling, a bit like this. Reason being is some of these reports are pretty comprehensive and there's plenty of bits of paper. So Bindi Norwell, the Real Estate Institute CEO, has said that house prices have continued to surpass predictions for how they would perform post-COVID, with the median house price across New Zealand increasing by 9.2% when compared to this time last year. So really, really interesting that those prices are still going up. And the regions with the largest increase in the average sales volumes, so the largest increase in the number of sales, uh, have been West Coast and Southland, followed by Taranaki and Waikato. West Coast up 43% in the number of sales um, in the area. But what's interesting is the median house price changes, and there's some pretty big changes. Here in Manawatu, Wanganui region, up 15.6% in one year. That's pretty good money if you'd bought a property a year ago. And in terms of the returns uh, or the growth, the capital growth in the properties, that's up to 427600 other notable mentions should include Otago, that's up 21.7%, Southland, that's up 198 Hawke's Bay, up 188 and the rocket ship of Gisborne, up 29.4% when compared to this time a year ago. So some really big changes there with regards uh, property values. What I'd like to look at is uh, Manawatu Wanganui in, uh, specifically, so let's have a look at that. I was saying how the median house price was up 15.6%. Uh, the number of sales is also up 46 as well. So let's break this down. New records within the region. Wanganui District is up to a re- record median price of 362500 And that is an increase, just looking at my stats here, when compared to this time of last year of 25%. So 25% increase in Wanganui. Tararua is up to a record 310,000 median price. That's almost 35% increase in one year. And Ruapehu up to 319,000, which is a 6.3% increase. So some really big changes there. Imagine a 25% return on a property that you'd purchased in Wanganui a year ago. That is provided you're at the median uh, house price, of course. And that leads me to the next report, which was the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Capital Gains and Rental Yield Reports. This one of more interest generally to investors and to landlords, and this is for the first quarter of 2020. 
So let's have a look here. Uh, digesting it down to the regions, um, the Southland region continues to remain the strongest performing region for residential property investors with the second highest capital gains in the country and the second highest yield, according to a new research from the Real Estate Institute. So that means it's really well balanced with regards to those two factors. Now, other than that, uh, the West Coast was good, and then it goes on to say similarly, the Manawatu-Wanganui region performed very well in terms of capital gains, up 23.9% year-on-year. So this is going back to the first quarter of this year. And that's the highest in the country at the time and had good annual yields of 4.3% annually, making it another region where investors will have seen good returns over the last 12 months. And in fact, Bindi Norwell, the CEO of the Real Estate Institute, says all regions across the country saw a good lift in capital gains from investors, result of strong median price increases, with all but three regions, Auckland, Canterbury and Nelson, seeing double-digit increases. Now this was in the heady times before COVID-19. And one thing to consider is that the market has been propped up a little bit artificially by the likes of wage subsidies and uh, mortgage holidays and so forth. So we'll have to see what happens in the coming months. But certainly in terms of uh, both capital gains and yields, if you own property here in the Manawatu, you would be very happy uh, indeed at the moment. It also breaks it down to... Uh, again, this is to the first quarter of this year, so it's slightly out of date, but Wanganui at that stage gone up 28.3%, so performing very well as well. And the rental yield in uh, Wanganui District, 5.4%, better than Palmas North City's 38 uh, and 2's 4.0, but still good rates of return when compared to the likes of Auckland, for example, and that's why we've been seeing a whole bunch of Auckland owners uh, investors, I should say, looking to diversify and buy property in the regions and in this region in particular. So just in, in other news, we'll just move on a bit to say that uh, the situation with New Zealand being COVID-free is a temptation for foreign property buyers. This is according to Stuff uh, and Susan Edmonds. She says that real estate agents are receiving more inquiries from overseas and some people are buying houses without seeing them, both of which I can tell you is absolutely true. Trustworthy, accurate um, information is easy to come across and uh, the Real Estate Listings website, realestate.co.nz, says there seems to be a link between publicity about New Zealand's COVID-19 status and the surges of interest in local property from offshore buyers. Spokeswoman Vanessa Taylor said international buyer numbers had been monitored closely since the country went into lockdown in March. On April the 2nd, when the country had its largest number of COVID-19 cases for a single day, was also the low point for international traffic. When there were no new cases reported on May 4th and for the first time since March 16th, international traffic spiked to just under 15,000 unique browsers. And then through to the early part of June, international traffic continued to increase as the country moved to level one and reported no cases for many days. But interestingly, they can look at the stats. And on June 16, where two women released from isolation early were found to have had COVID-19, the traffic started to decline again. So really interesting to see uh, the stats behind that. So many people are coming back to New Zealand from time spent in other countries, and they're bringing significant amounts of money with them, Taylor says. And the Real Estate Institute CEO, Bindi Norwell, said there's a clear pattern of New Zealanders returning home to the safe haven of New Zealand. 
Predictions are that up to 100,000 Kiwis could return home before Christmas if the COVID-19 situation continues in a similar fashion as we're seeing right now, she said. For many Kiwis, this has marked the start of their return to a new life in New Zealand, which includes purchasing a property for them and their family to live in, and reports from agents around the country are that returning New Zealanders make up a good proportion of buyers at the moment. Agents have also been fielding calls from smaller numbers of non-Kiwis considering a move to New Zealand, but the foreign buyer ban is impacting their ability to purchase property and may impact their decision-making process about whether they would consider a move to New Zealand in the future, along with issues around visas and international travel. So what's really interesting about this was around this COVID-19, there was, there was always going to be a big drop-off of immigration, and as you know, there really isn't any immigration in terms of traditionally people moving here from overseas, uh, apart from mainly at the moment just Kiwis returning home. Now what's happening is there are so many Kiwis returning home wanting to buy property that actually the property market is going along okay. So here's an article from newsroom.co.nz saying what becomes of the housing market. So in April, economists were predicting COVID would cause a 10 to 20% fall in house prices, but in June, median house prices rose more than 9%, much more in some places. What's going on and will it last? This is from an article from Nikki Mandel. So she talks about the, the prices just still remaining buoyant and saying that the buoyant market flies in the face of what economists were predicting just three months ago. For example, Kiwi Bank Chief Economist Jared Kerr, who in an interview with Bernard Hickey in April, said house prices could fall 10 to 20% over the next year before rebounding into 2022 and 2023. So faced with the early stages of an unprecedented crisis, economists trying to pick the housing market tended to look at the most recent global downturn, which was the GFC in 2007 and 2008. Then, rising unemployment and job uncertainty curtailed demand for homes while bank foreclosures increased the supply on the market and so inevitably house prices fell around about 10%. But this time it's different, at least in the short term. So Bindi Norwell, again CEO of the Real Estate Institute, has said that there's been low interest rates, there's been wage subsidies, which have been helping people pay mortgages and rent, and there's also mortgage holidays. So this has helped to avoid a rush of any mortgagee sales, which might have brought more homes onto the market. In fact, there's a continuing housing shortage, a very different situation to the ample supply of homes at the time of the GFC. Norwell says we've had a lack of listings coming on the market and that's put more pressure and more competition on those properties people want, which has bolstered the price. Certainly the prices we've been getting here in Manawatu, if you've been out to open homes lately or monitored where properties have been selling, really strong interest. And some of the strongest interest has come from first home buyers who have taken advantage of the Reserve Bank's lifting of the 80% loan-to-value restrictions on mortgage lending for the next year or so. Now, it wasn't actually the aim of the measure. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand introduced it to encourage banks to lend more to homeowners and small businesses. But it's given people struggling to raise a 20% deposit on their home a 12-month window to get a mortgage without it, and many are rushing in to take it. So what, according to this article, is going to happen with future house prices? Well, Norwell says that September will be the key month in terms of what the medium-term future might be for the housing market. And as I was just mentioning earlier in this broadcast, that first the wage subsidies will finish, then the mortgage holidays will finish, and there's also the election, which tends to create uncertainty. 
She says, who knows what will happen, whether the market has recovered enough to be able to cope with these factors support, without these factors supporting it, or whether it will see some impact from that, but at the moment it's defying all reasoning of what was originally predicted. The Kiwi Bank senior economist Jeremy Kutchman says unemployment is key. He's expecting jobless figures to rise with companies cutting the number of workers they have and an increasing number of businesses to go under. So let's see what happens there. It'll be interesting. Um, and will the house prices fall? Well, possibly, but gee, it's pretty much anybody's guess at this point in time. So enough about the market. Let's go to some more local news here. And this is that Talking in here in Palmerston North, the square upgrade nears the end of the road. Obviously, a bit of a pun in there. Good, uh, good tabloid type uh, headline that one. The square upgrade nears the end of the road. So, the major roadworks on the square in Palmerston North are drawing to an end, and the business owners who have been hit by a double whammy of disruption that is COVID plus having the work outside, they're optimistic that it'll be worth all the pain. So this is to do with City Council's effort to beautify the stretch of the square between Church and Main Street. So it began in January, expected to be complete in early August. I don't know if you've driven past lately, but it's uh, looking starting to look really pretty good there. And this is all part of the $26.6 million Streets for People project to make the central city more pedestrian-friendly. They quote James Tay, who owns a sushi shop. He said, times are tough thanks to roadworks on top of the coronavirus, but business owners could look forward to a future knowing the disruption was almost over. He says, it's going to be a huge improvement for everyone, but it's been painful to go through, but the long-term economic benefit will be worth it. So there's a number of shops on there that rely on foot traffic, and obviously that's been cut off for some time now. The council is going to throw a street party to celebrate the upgraded streets uh, and just keep an eye out for details on that. That's cool. Just over the next few weeks, the road's going to be sealed and marked, trees planted, and then the final touches on the electrical and drainage work, and there'll be outdoor furniture installed there for the public to use. So really getting along quite pretty nicely with that now. Another major Palmerston North uh, milestone has been hit, and this is to do with the housing development of Centennial Park which is the, or at least the first 28-section stage opposite the Hokefiru Lagoon. So it's, the infrastructure is now complete. So the overall project is a $130 million housing development, and Wallace Development started construction on the Centennial Park subdivision last year and intends to create 130 sections for houses and apartments on the 10.5-hectare block on Centennial Drive between the Hokefiru Lagoon and Manawatu River. Its first stage created 28 sections ready for houses to be build, built. So Palmer's North Mayor Grant Smith said the development would help ease demand in the city's tight housing market and attract skilled professionals to the region. He admits that they're well down in all areas of housing supply, from emergency housing right up to executive level housing. He says the city's population is growing rapidly, much for people moving into the region to work. And interestingly, Palmerston North has actually got the lowest unemployment rate of any New Zealand city at 5.1%, according to Statistics New Zealand's latest figures. So recruiters were having to look further afield for candidates that needed somewhere to live. So the Centennial Park will help meet demand at the top end of the market, while new developments such as the Whanau Order, Alliance, Titihi's Glasgow Street Project and the new council flats on Papioia Place help cover the low end. The mid market is still a bit underserved, but the council is looking to turn the attention of its housing steering committee in that direction. As you know, 
there's a bunch of land being opened up out towards Ashurst and also um, up by or past Massey University on the hill there. So we're going to take a little break now. We're going to go to some music. I thought I'd put on Gladys Knight and the Pips. And the song is Landlord.
And that was Gladys Knight and the Pips with Landlord. You're here on Property Matters with Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company today. And uh, wherever you are listening to this, uh, wherever all good podcasts are found, or here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Nga Tangata, or Manawatu. So lovely to have your company. Let's have a look at what's happening with the average rents around the country post-COVID. So this might be of interest to some landlords. The headline here from interest.co.nz says, Average rents in Queenstown Lakes declined by $89 a week in the second quarter of this year. Wellington City rents down by $16 a week. So residential rents were, they've come out and assessed it, and they're mostly higher in the Upper North Island in the second quarter of the year and mostly lower in the South Island and the Lower North Island. Overall, the rises in the north of the country and the falls in the south almost evened each other out, with a national average rent increasing by just $3 a week between quarter one and quarter two of this year. But there are strong geographical differences. So in Auckland, the average rent increased by $5 a week to $549, while increases occurring with increases occurring in all districts except North Shore, it dropped by $10. Regionally, the average rents are up. If we look at Hamilton, Tauranga, Rotorua, Napier and Hastings, and they've got a table on interest.co.nz that shows you how much this is. As I mentioned, rents were mostly down in the Wellington region, uh, declining in Kapiti, Porirua, Wellington City, but it rose in the Hutt Valley. So looking at the stats here, between the first quarter and the second quarter, let's have a look at something a bit more local here. Let's go to the Wanganui district uh, rents have come back four dollars a week uh, from uh, the the average weekly rent being three fifty now to three forty six. Palmas North City has gone up nineteen dollars a week. It's gone from three sixty five to three eighty five. So twenty dollars a week within a quarter. Now, of course, what will happen once the restrictions on rent increases comes off, which is due uh, at the end of July? There will be a flow-on effect where these rents will probably jump in many places again as there haven't been any increases for quite some time. The nature of things means that when we give notice in the end of July, it takes a period of time before those rents actually go up at the end of September. So the third quarter may have no change and the fourth quarter could be really quite significant indeed with regards to the change upwards. It all depends on supply and demand, and so if you are in some areas, as we've mentioned, uh, then things may have really gone down, and that's where Queenstown is one of those. Just with regards, Queenstown Lakes down fourteen percent, best part of fourteen percent, six fifty average rent now down to five sixty one. So some pretty big changes there. I think Palmerston North City probably has the largest change upwards. Uh, just following after Hastings District, which had a 9% increase in that three-month period when comparing the first quarter to the second quarter of this year. Now, this article from Stuff, uh, Lifestyle and Home section, buyers are doing whatever it takes to secure properties. So there's a desperation or sense of desperation around many property deals post-lockdown as buyers flood open homes and auction rooms. Now this article comes from down south but it's relevant for most areas including the regions. Ray White South Island Regional Manager Jane Meyer says an auction late last week of five properties in Christchurch reinforced the belief that the local property market continued to fire on all cylinders. 
The venue was packed to the rafters and you could really feel the confidence flowing amongst the bidders. Buyers are doing whatever it takes to secure their desired property. Over 50 people attended the event with four of the five houses selling under the hammer. They then quote Bronwyn Williams of Ray White Metro who says there were nine registered bidders for one of the properties, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house, and four of those buyers actively bidding against each other. So really uh, getting those prices up indeed. Williams said the buyer was happy knowing that the, other, that the others desired the property that they'd purchased, which gave them confidence. So more than 113 groups went through the open homes for the house, which is quite incredible. The turnout echoes interest in properties similar in, uh, in other areas of the country. Remember that outside of Auckland, house prices were 11.3% higher year on year at a median of 540, and even Auckland's median price lifted 9.2% to 928,000. So a lot of activity there we're finding. We're get, getting many people to open homes here in the Manawatu, Wanganui area, and really it is still difficult to buy when you're up in competition against other people. Finally, this article uh, about tenancy law from Stuff Business, Catherine Harris, Tribunal upholds a $700 break fee for a tenant with dementia. So a tenant moved out shortly before lockdown but was still liable, the landlord claimed. A Hamilton tenant with dementia has had a fixed-term lease ended early but still has to pay the landlord $700 plus rent, the Tenancy Tribunal has determined. And the saga began last November when the tenant renewed her lease for a year from January this year and it included a $30 increase in her rent. In mid-February, the tenant's daughter uh, told the landlord agent that her mother was struggling to meet the new rental when it was causing her hardship. She explained that the mother had dementia, had not understood the contract she'd signed and was seeking social housing. The landlord agreed that the tenant could end the fixed term provided she pay a $700 early release fee and remained reliable for the rent until a new tenant was found. Now that is uh, something that's allowed under tenancy law. The daughter thought the university year was starting soon and the flat would be easy to re-let. She arranged for a wins loan to pay the fee and early March ring the agent to see how the re-letting was going and to inform the agent that her mother had found social housing. And At that point, the landlord realised the money received was the break fee rather than the rent and began advertising. So the agent received 50 inquiries and three applications but none satisfactory. So that's uh, something where uh, the break, break lease is something where if you go into a fixed term, if there is a clause in your contract saying you have to pay a break lease fee or similar uh, for uh, for moving um, unexpectedly, then that can be allowed to happen. So the the said that the the adjudicator said the landlord has an obligation to mitigate its loss, and this means in this case the landlord must take reasonable steps to mitigate its loss. This was not a case where the landlord did not have any options to relet the property. However, the adjudicator ordered the landlord keep the $700 break fee as compensation for extra costs in advertising. So an interesting scenario there. And if you ever need any help or advice in that regard, you can always contact me through the show. Greg Watson on Property Matters. It's been wonderful having your company this week. We're going to finish up there. Have a wonderful week indeed. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations 
and go find your new favourite show.